Hello and welcome once again. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, working through it a chapter at a time, we've just moved into um, Acts chapter 2 is where we're at today. And um, so we'll be going from there. Um, this light on me is a little bright tonight. If, if uh, anybody is up there that could turn that light right on me down just a hair. I know you need it for some of it, but it seems brighter than normal on me. Um, uh, the book of Acts, if you remember, was uh, written by Luke. It was written to, in particular, who? Theophilus, which means love of God. See, if you, if you don't remember anything else, you'll have that down and you'll, you'll be good at Bible trivia. Um, Luke recorded for us the, the life of Christ and His ministry and uh, through the um, crucifixion and resurrection. The book of Acts uh, picks up this period of time right after the resurrection until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, there in the first uh, two chapters. And then from there, it records for us the acts of the early church and what takes place. And it's a, it's a fascinating uh, book. And um, I've told you, and we'll continue to tell you this because I, w- I want you to get the idea. Um, the Bible's complete and finished. The canon's done. We're not adding to it. And yet, in a sense, as we continue on in the ministry that Jesus has given us, the book of Acts continues on. All right? So, so don't hear me saying we're writing Scripture, because we're not. Scripture's done. It's complete. We got what we need. But the Acts of the disciples, the apostles or whatever, continue on in through and through us. And so as God uses you under the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you continue on in the same stuff that was going on back then. And that's our connection. When you think about it, it's really cool. We have this 2,000-year connection right back to what we're reading. And we have the same calling that they had. We have the same empowerment that they had by the Spirit. And we're still up to the same things. And we still face, by and large, the same issues with the culture. Sin is still sin. Uh, it's still We haven't really changed a whole lot. We've, you know... Our our nature is the same. Uh, Sin nature is what it is. And and so we're dealing with primarily the same things. And uh, it's kind of fascinating when you start to think about it. And as you read through the book of Acts, I want you to consider that, that that you're you're a part of this. You're tied to that. You're connected to that um, and what's going on. And in some way, it continues on in you. And so that's that's part of what we read. And I, I want to make sure you get that. In the process. Um, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 has told his disciples to hang out in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then after they wait, we, we also know that they're to go and be witnesses to there and then to the world around them as the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them for just such a ministry. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, this begins. The, the process begins as the Holy Spirit is poured out on uh, the apostles and on the, the others that are with them gathered there. and uh, All sorts of things begin to take place. The, it's the beginning of the church uh, as we know it and what takes place here. So it's a, it's a wonderful chapter. And I don't think I can cover it all in a week because I have something that I want to talk about as we move through it. And, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's go ahead and um, look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, there's 47 verses. I will read them to you. You can follow along in your notes. If you didn't get a bulletin on the way in, please just take a Bible from the pews and you can, you can read. I'm reading out of the New International Version. And um, 
I'll pretty much read it straight through, except I have one comment to make about ten verses in. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and following. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in, our, in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, sorry, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Cappadocia, pardon me, Pontus and Asia, uh, Thyrogyra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? I told you I wanted to make one comment as I read. This is my comment. Think about this. Um, all of a sudden, all of them understand each other. Whatever the language that is, they all understand, they're all hearing their own language. And this to me is an exact opposite of another event that occurs in the scripture. And, and I don't know if you've ever read Genesis chapter 11 and a little thing called the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, the exact opposite thing happens. All of a sudden, they all could understand each other and boom, then all their languages are mixed up and they couldn't understand each other. Now, something really cool happens. The Holy Spirit comes and boom, they can all understand and, and hear in their own language what they need to hear as, as, uh, Peter is going to take this opportunity to address the crowd and, and thousands will be added to the church. But think about that. I think it's a fascinating thing. Some, however, verse 13, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this... <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that either. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, 
I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Blessed be the word of the Lord. All right. So lots of stuff happens here in Acts chapter 2. And, and I want to dig into it, but I want to talk about something before I dig into it. And it's, it's going to take the little bit of time that we have tonight. So we'll, we'll get more into a chapter next week. Acts chapter 2 takes place on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a connection to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the Feast of Israel that, as believers, all of us should be aware of at some level. And so I want to have a discussion, 15 minutes worth, on the seven feasts of Israel and what it means um, to us prophetically and what happens. And, and see, because what's happened is in a, in a very short period of time, and remember, um, from the end of, of the events recorded in Luke to Acts chapter 2, there's this 50-day period, okay? And, and yet, prophetically, Jesus has fulfilled... Four of the seven Old Testament feasts, in, in short order, all in that 50-day period. And so you need to be aware of the connection to what's happening. And um, the seven feasts that the children of Israel were um, commanded to partake of every year were Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. And what I want you to know is that when the day of Pentecost happened, the first four were fulfilled prophetically. And we're, we're waiting on the last three. We're in this in-between time. All of them had to do with harvests and um, types of harvests and amounts of harvests. And, and so there was a very, very early harvest at first fruits at, at the resurrection. 
And then at Pentecost is another harvest. It's a, it's a bigger harvest, but it's not the great big harvest. And then at the end of the summer was the main harvest that they celebrated. And, and that's when the trumpets, at the end of that, trumpets were, were blown. Now, I want to talk about the connection so you can see it. So you, you, at some level when you get the fact that, that these feasts are being fulfilled prophetically, and you can see that four out of the seven have been fulfilled, you can have a lot of hope that the next three are going to get fulfilled too. And, and, and knowing that will just boost your confidence in, in the entire scripture and how it all works. The children of Israel were commanded to uh, serve, partake in seven feasts every year. And it, it was something that they, they had to do. Um, and uh, some of them re- required, when they could, a uh, trip to Jerusalem. That's why you had so many people there on the day of Pentecost. They were there as part of that particular feast. Um, others didn't, but had other requirements and things that they met along the way. And so I just want to touch on them quickly. I, I, we could take weeks on this, and I've, talk, I've taught on it in depth in the past, but I want you to see the connection because we're in it as we study, the, the, as we looked at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, and I, I don't want it to just pass by without touching on it. Today, so so you remember that uh, when we were in in the end of Luke, that this the process of the crucifixion started at the Passover, the Last Supper, and we we looked at um, how that all ties in and what that means and how we get communion out of it. We talked on all those things. Well, uh, Passover was this the first of the seven feasts that the people of Israel were commanded to be a part of every year, and you can get a list of these feasts in Leviticus twenty three. And, and if you ever need to go and look, they're all sort of summarily listed right there in Leviticus 23. And Passover is the first one listed, listed and it's given a specific time and date, and um, that they would know that these things were supposed to happen every year according to the Jewish calendar. So in Leviticus 23.5, it says, The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. That's when Passover would take place. That's when the Passover meal it would happen. And um, uh, I'm not going to dig into all the verses I have here, but, but in Exodus 12, 5 through 7, if you want to write it down and look at it later, it talks about they have to choose a lamb uh, uh, that's without spot or blemish, and that what they're going to do at the, and what they are commemorating is that the, uh, when they were being set free from Egypt and the, the ten plagues were taking place, the tenth one was the plague of the death of the firstborn, that they took a lamb without spot or defect and they, they um, killed it as a sacrifice. They took the blood and they put it on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over the firstborn of Israel. And, and it's a prophetic picture of what the blood of Christ does for us. Because as we're covered in the blood of Christ, we're, we're then passed over so that we might have life with him forever. Matthew 26, and 27, 26, 27, and, 8 and 28 says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So there's a connection between what Jesus was doing at the Passover and the feast. Jesus is fulfilling it. He's, he's literally fulfilling it. See, the idea was, this was God's intention, and he does this throughout the Scripture, that... As the people celebrated these feasts every year, that when, when they saw Jesus fulfill them, they'd get it. See, they were, they, were, they were seeing it every year. Every year it was happening. And then Jesus comes and does it. And he fulfills them. 
And, and it was a, so that they would know that this was going to happen. So it starts with um, Passover. He's, he's his blood. And John one twenty nine says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus fulfills the feast of the Passover. The next feast that they're called to celebrate is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in Leviticus 23.6 6 it says, On the 15th day of that same month, the next day, is the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread without yeast. Now, so the Passover happens that night. What happens the next day? Crucifixion. Jesus has said that he's the bread of life. And he's also said that my body will be broken for you. Um, and, and in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and uh, 8, it says, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So, so Passover is fulfilled by Christ. The next day at the cross, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is fulfilled by Christ as well. There, there's the, the, the bread without sin, without leaven, being sacrificed on our behalf. Then, there's the Feast of first fruits, And in Leviticus 23.10 and 11, it says this, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after... The Sabbath. Okay. The day after the Sabbath, you know what happens? Jesus is resurrected. All right? And he's the first fruit offering. Um, listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all we made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion authority. And power. So, Jesus is this first fruits um, actually taking place, this first harvest. And he's not alone, though, because if you remember, there's a little verse about some other stuff that happened during the resurrection. Um, Matthew 27:53 says, They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. There's Jesus with his early harvest of the resurrection, fulfilling the first fruit. All right, so three taken care of. Three feasts of Israel, Jesus handled Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, so uh, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Boom, he takes care of them all right there. Fifty days later is Pentecost. Leviticus 23, 15, and 16 says, From the day after the Sabbath, the one we just talked about, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks... Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. And what would they do? Leviticus 23, 17 goes on and says, From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. What happens in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a picture of the fulfillment 
of the Feast of Pentecost, what takes place there in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's a celebration of another harvest, a grain harvest, and, and they're to bring um, a couple of loaves, and there may be some prophetic symbol in the two loaves, because it, it probably represented Israel and the church. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's a, another uh, offering and festival, and it's fulfilled perfectly to the day, 50 days after the resurrection, exactly when it should happen, the Holy Spirit comes and fulfills Pentecost. And 3,000, there's another harvest. You know, there's that little harvest with Jesus and those guys that came out of the tomb, and now there's another harvest of 3,000 plus souls that take place on the day of Pentecost. So these, these, these things are fitting perfectly, all right? Now, those four happen in the beginning of the sort of farm year, if you would, Israel agricultural. Um, and then there's a long summer, and then the fifth feast takes place. At the end of the summer harvest, of the big, at the end of the, the big harvest, there's another feast that they celebrate, and it's called the Feast of Trumpets. And, and listen to how it's described in Leviticus 23:24. Say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, remember all this started in the first month on the 14th day, you're to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Trumpets are an interesting thing. Here's a New Testament verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God... And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Okay. So, that one hasn't happened yet. Why? We're in the summer season. What are we in the season of? What did Jesus say that we needed to do? To send us out into the harvest field, right? We're out in the harvest field. And, and the first four have been fulfilled. We're waiting on the last three. And we're in this summer season, a harvest season. And this is the big harvest. There was a tiny little harvest, first fruits. Pentecost had a bigger harvest. This is going to be a great big harvest because we've had all this time. This summer's gone on for quite a while. And when does it end? Trumpet sound. When the trumpet sounds, you'll hear it, and you're done. That's it's it. We're called up. Whoop. The end of the harvest. Whoop. I don't know what noise you'll make. Probably be more like ah. I don't know. Now, so that one hasn't happened. But see, here's what's so cool to me. We're waiting on that one. That's what we're waiting on. Trumpet sound. Jesus coming back. Here he is. Right? We're all waiting on that. But isn't it cool to know that of the seven, he's already done four. He's going to do these last three. We're just waiting. And it makes perfect sense why he's waiting. It's harvest. And, and the harvest is souls. And we're called into the harvest. We're workers in the harvest. And, and it talks about, there's other verses, the trumpet sound at the end of the season. Those who know God to come, they go and worship. And those who don't, don't. The next one is interesting. It's atonement. And in Leviticus 23, and this, this is the one that they'll never miss. It's Rosh Hashanah. If you know any Jewish people, they won't skip this one. Because to miss it, they miss it all. Why is it so important? Listen, in Leviticus 23, 27. The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord. 
by fire. Leviticus 23 and 32. It is a Sabbath of rest for you, and you must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you would observe your Sabbath. Zechariah 13. 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Zechariah 13.6. If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Romans 11.26. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away, godlessness away from Jacob. Now, this is what I think is interesting about atonement and depend on how you feel about the end times and I, I, you can feel how you want because um, everybody's got different views and I, Jesus is coming back that's all I know when he does it that's on him alright but there's and, and see, atone, see when you've accepted Christ you've been atoned for you don't need this anymore that's why part of me thinks that, that there's something about trumpet sound. We're out of here. It's not, it's not going to impact us. This is something that happens with God and Israel um, right afterwards, short, shortly thereafterwards. And it's a time for them to repent and to come wholesale to the Lord. And that's atonement. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. The last one is tabernacles. Leviticus 23.34, Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. And he goes on in verse 42, Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. Uh, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And he goes on, in, this is in Ezekiel 37, 26, 20, uh, 30, and 27. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Which is what we hear in Revelation 21. So it's, it talks about eternally dwelling with God. So, so here, here we have these seven feasts. And the, the reason I wanted to bring them up and, and touch on them real quickly is because that's what's happening in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, you need to know that Pentecost is being fulfilled prophetically, and it's wild, and it, it, it tosses us into this big harvest. And throughout this harvest, we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to be his witnesses, to go and be a part of the harvest. See, that's what the whole deal was. And that's what it continues to be. And, and we're, we're to stay in this harvest until trumpet sounds. And that's what we wait. We're waiting on number five. It could come at any time. It could come today. It could come right now. It could happen before we finish today. Or it could happen a thousand years from I don't know. But we're to live like it could happen any day. And at the same time, live like it could be a thousand years off. We're just supposed to be in the harvest, waiting on that trumpet sound. And when it sounds, if you know him, you'll hear it. And whoop. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. So uh, that's what's coming. So I wanted to talk about that. It's already 8 o'clock. And, and just so you have that in your mind, as we begin to dig in from here, um, that, that this Acts 2 is this fulfillment of Pentecost. And now we're kicking into the summer, the big summer harvest season, waiting on... Trumpet sound and the return of Christ. So that's what we're up to. All right? Just so you know, so you can think about that as you dig in. And I hope it, it, it should increase your... I mean, to me, it's a big faith thing because I look and see how he's fulfilled those four. And I know he's going to take care of these last three. And I'm just looking forward to the way he's going to do it. 
and he's put us in a harvest season, and we're to go out and be the harvesters. It's, that's how the plan works. So that's what's going on. If you're watching my video, thank you for watching. And uh, um, if you need anything, you can call us, email us, write us. We'll see what we're, you can do. You can go ahead and turn off the video. We're going to go ahead and pray here. So if you have your prayer.